Good morning and welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. Hey, we're glad that you are here. Whether if this is your first time you've been here or you've been here a lot of times, we're glad you're here. Um, there's a lot going on around here. It's good to see Josh the Grand back from his mission trip in South Africa. Uh, the Flannery family is in about a week and a half or so headed to Honduras, and there's actually some ways that you can help with with that mission trip on the in the foyer out there, you can check that out. Um, camp begins today for our youth group, so a lot of things going on. On top of that, it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all you fathers. And I actually want to begin this morning with a little Father's Day reminder. See if this doesn't strike a chord. I don't care how late you stay out. Stay out as late as you want. You want to borrow the new car? You want to borrow my credit card? Kids today, they really have it rough. I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I mean, when I was their age, life was easy. Super easy. Why haven't you gotten a tattoo yet? How come you don't have any piercings yet? Yep, we're lost. We are completely lost. Ooh, sports. Just do whatever the mechanic says to do. Vehicle maintenance is completely overrated. Look, whatever the mechanic is asking, just pay him. Pay him whatever he wants. I wish they had soap operas at night. I like that boy. You should date him. You should date him immediately. Well, what about the creepy guy with the motorcycle? He's cute. Yeah, sure. Spring break in Tahiti sounds fun. Hey, make sure you get all your video games done before you start your homework. You don't have to pass all your classes. What? You have a project due tomorrow, and you've known about it for four weeks, and you haven't started yet? Sweet! Doesn't anybody want to know if we're there yet? Remember, if you need anything between midnight and 4 a.m., please come wake me up. Hey, I'm on the phone. Could you bring the baby over and let him climb all over me? Hey! Hey! Can you please turn that music up? Well, we just stopped for lunch ten minutes ago, but... Yeah, let's stop again. I never have trouble with my toddler. I never have trouble with my teenagers. I never have trouble with my adult children. You know, she's right. We are ruining her life. Yes, more homework to correct. All right, whining. Yay, tantrums. Mmm, vomit. We just really need to spoil these kids more. Sorry, buddy. I don't know any good jokes at all. You're 16. You pretty much know everything now. I think 18 is a great age to get married. Okay, remember, make sure you turn on all the lights before you leave the house. Hey, could you leave the front door open for a couple hours? Thanks. Whoa! Money really does grow on trees. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Happy Father's Day. You know, the takeaway from that video is dads are pretty predictable. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, really no matter what your dad was like or what kind of relationship you might have had with your dad, dads are pretty predictable. I don't think any of us have ever heard our father say any of those things. And I'll prove my point by saying this. There's a lot of fathers in here who keep score. You're a little bit competitive. 
Because a couple of weeks ago, I preached a Mother's Day sermon. And I had more than a few fathers come up to me afterwards and say, you're going to preach a Father's Day sermon on Father's Day, aren't you? I mean, we want our Father's Day sermon, which I don't know why you want a Father's Day sermon. Because the message behind almost every Father's Day sermon I've ever heard is, you're doing it wrong. You know, on Mother's Day, it's what would we do without our moms? And on Father's Day, the message is always, is that all you got? I mean, you're going to have to step your game up. So, be careful what you ask for. But I am preaching a Father's Day sermon this morning. And my goal is not to convince you that you're doing it wrong. Quite the opposite. My goal is to encourage us dads and to convince you you're doing it right. And you need to keep doing it right. Because what you're doing is so very important. And while this is technically a Father's Day sermon, I really think there's something we all can, can gain from it. You know, at Mother's Day, I was in Nehemiah, for crying out loud, so I'm, I'm casting a pretty wide net here. And I want to begin this lesson by asking all of you a question. If you could make one request of God, and you knew that God would do what you asked Him to do, what would you ask? If you had one request that you could ask God, do this, and you knew He would do it, what would that request be? Would it be maybe, heal my marriage? Would it be, fix a relationship with my children, or my parents, or a friend? Maybe it would be a health issue. Maybe it wouldn't even be for you. Maybe you would make a request on behalf of someone else. If you could ask God one thing and know that He would do it, what would you ask Him? And really, I've got another question for you that, that I think is more important. If you ask God to do that one thing, do you believe He has the power to pull it off? Whatever it is that you would ask God to do, do you believe that He really could do that? Because the way you answer that question says a lot about the way you'd answer the first question. This morning, we're going to take a look at two dads from the Bible. And these are two fathers that really have nothing in common. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New. One we know absolutely nothing about. Uh, he shows up one time in Scripture and uh, very quickly. One we know a lot about. There is one of these dads who seems to be struggling with his faith. This other dad, he is sort of the definition of faith. There's one of these dads who is commended by God over and over and over again in Scripture. One of these dads sort of gets chastised by Jesus in the one interaction they have. And I want to start with the New Testament dad. The New Testament dad is the dad that we don't know very much about, but I will argue that we might be able to relate to the New Testament dad more than we can the Old Testament dad. His story is found in Mark chapter 9. And I want to give you a little bit of context to the story. At the beginning of Mark chapter 9, we read about Jesus going up on a mountaintop he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and there he is transfigured. It's a very mysterious kind of, uh, uh, of happening. Jesus is there, and his appearance changes. His clothes become dazzling white. Peter and James and John are there watching. 
Moses and Elijah show up. And Jesus starts having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John, they don't know what to think. They don't know what to do. So Peter does what he so often does when he's not sure what to do. He says something that he probably shouldn't have said. Peter says, this is awesome. We need to make three uh, monuments. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. A bright cloud enveloped the mountain, and the voice of God said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah disappear. Jesus and these three men start back down the mountain, and Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, when we get down with everybody else, don't tell them what just happened. Not yet. Which is a pretty big ask. Because here's three men who have witnessed something that is, wow, uh, I mean, it's sort of mind-blowing, right? These are three men that had a long list of real spiritual highs. This would have to be the top of their list. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it just yet. So they come down from this literal mountaintop experience, but notice what happens as soon as they come down from the mountain. I'm in chapter 9, verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, they found a great crowd surrounding the other disciples as some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. The crowd watched Jesus in awe as he came toward them, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, he asked. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come straight from this amazing moment right back to reality. Right back to a bunch of people arguing. And I want you to notice who is doing the arguing. It is Jesus' disciples and the teachers of religious law. These are two groups of people who both would say they love God with all their heart. And they're arguing. Now let me make an observation here. And by the way, this is completely free. It really has nothing to do with the lesson. Isn't it amazing when you remove Jesus from the equation, what we'll argue about? I mean, when we lose our focus on Jesus, we'll argue about just about anything. When we're focused on Jesus, we don't seem to argue quite so much. Let's take a look at what they're arguing about. Verse 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son for you to heal him. He can't speak because he's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. and makes him foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and become rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit. But they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was very small, the evil spirit often makes him fall into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. By the way, this is a great dad. He's not a perfect dad, but he's a good dad. First, he gets his son to Jesus. That's the best thing he could have done. And then I like what he says to Jesus. He says, have mercy on us and help us. He doesn't say have mercy on him, help him. This is a dad who realizes 
I'm all in on the dad thing. I mean, we're in this thing together. Have mercy on us. And then he adds, do something if you can. And it's the if you can that we usually kind of land on and pick apart when we talk about this man's interaction with Jesus. You know, I said that we don't know very much about this dad, but I'm so glad his story's in Scripture. Because I can so relate to this dad. There is so much that he is so sure of. And there is so much that he is so unsure of. So he tells Jesus, do something if you can. Jesus, by the way, is going to pick up on that statement as well. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. When we talk about this uh, interaction, we usually focus on verse 24. But this morning, I want to focus on verse 23. By the way, Jesus does cast out the demon. But Jesus makes the statement, anything is possible if a person believes. What would your life look like if you truly believed what Jesus said to that dad? What would your life look like if you really believed that anything is possible if I believe? If the power of God really was available to you, if the power of God was flowing in you, around you, through you, what would your marriage look like? What would your family look like? What would your relationships be like? What would your witness look like if you really believe that anything is possible to a person who believes? First grade teacher was talking to her class about good manners and she was trying to do it in a way that they would understand. So she said, well, how many of you ever been out to eat like at a restaurant with your family? And about all of them raised their hands. And she said, well, what are some things that your dad tells you when you go to a restaurant to eat? And she pointed to a little boy and he said, um, don't play with my food. Great. That's good. She looked at the little girl and said, what does your dad tell you when you go out to a restaurant? And she said, um, use my inside voice. Good, great. She pointed to another little boy and said, what does your dad tell you when you go out to a restaurant to eat? Without batting an eye, the little boy said, order something cheap. (laughs) We can relate to that too, right? But what if, what if when it came to God, we didn't have to order something cheap? What if there really was this unbelievable power available to us 24 hours a day? Seven days a week. What if as a dad we had that kind of power? Because, come on, dads, we love power, right? Oh, yeah, we love power. The more power, the better. When we buy a leaf blower, we want the one with the jet engine on it, right? <laughs> you can't afford it. you got to fight it. When we buy a new lawnmower, the one we want is the Dixie chopper that will mow our grass at 45 miles an hour. That's the one we want because that's power. More power is more better, right, dads? Sure. And Scripture tells us when it comes to the things that really count, boy, do we have power available to us. We have so much power available to us. Let's go backwards into the Old Testament 
and take a look at another dad. Another dad who might very well be the most famous dad in, in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to a man by the name of Abram and says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And peoples all on earth will be blessed through you. God tells this father, who's not yet a father, Abram, you are going to have this great lineage. You're Through you, through your offspring, everybody in the world is going to be blessed. Which is quite a promise. Especially considering that Abram and his wife Sarai didn't have any children. They didn't have a lineage. They were childless. Abram was 75 years old when God made him this promise. His wife Sarai was 65 years old. You're going to have this great lineage. Everybody's going to be blessed through your offspring. A year goes by, they don't have a child. Five years go by, they don't have a child. Ten years go by, Abram and Sarai don't have a child together. Fifteen years, twenty years... I mean, it appears that this train's left the building, right? Uh, this isn't going to happen, because Abram's now 99 years old. And Sarai's right behind him at 89 years old. But in Genesis chapter 17, God is going to reaffirm His promise. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Your version might say, I am El Shaddai. I am God with all the power. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. God changes his name to Abraham. He changes Sarai's name to Sarah. And notice both of their responses to God. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then a chapter later, Sarah hears the news. Since Abraham and Sarah were both very old, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn-out woman like me have a baby, she thought. And when my master, my husband, is also so old. Abraham and Sarah both laugh at this idea of them having children together. And really, can you blame them? Come on, it's laughable, right? The promise at this point seems like a joke, right? Uh, I mean, what are they going to do? Move a crib into the geriatric ward? Sarah's going to have a child and Medicare's going to pick up the bill, right? She's going to go shopping and put pampers and depends in the same cart. At the baby shower, the baby's getting a stroller, she's getting a walker. She's expecting to be in a nursing home, not nursing in a home. Hey, I could keep going. I mean, this is, this is too easy, right? And you know, everybody then had to be thinking the same thing, including them. This is a joke. Come on, the promise is ridiculous. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And by the way, that's not just an Old Testament question. 
That question is just as valid for us as it was to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sounds a lot like the statement that Jesus made to that dad in Mark chapter 9. All things are possible if you believe. But think about that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because if the answer is yes, if I'm convinced the answer is yes, then there are some things in my life that I'm going to have to figure out on my own. And there are some problems that I'm going to have to fix on my own. If I answer that question, yes, life gets kind of hopeless. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If the answer is yes, boy, that's depressing, isn't it? But if the answer is no, if I am convinced there's absolutely nothing that is too hard for the Lord, suddenly I've got hope. I've got this power that's behind me. And of course the answer of the Bible is no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. By the way, if you're not familiar with the story, about a year later they have a son, name him Isaac. There's a dad in the New Testament who seems to be struggling with his faith. Jesus tells him anything's possible if you believe. There's a dad in the Old Testament, we call him the father of the faithful. God asked him, is anything too hard for the Lord? We serve a God in whom anything is possible. God's Word is filled with story after story after story of God unleashing His power. God has the power to make anything out of nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where did it come from? It came from God. Well, how did it start? It started with God. God said it, and it happened. I'm a science guy. Science doesn't dis diminish God's greatness. Science reveals God's greatness. And don't be afraid of science. God has the power to stop the unstoppable. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. God has the power to stop the lions from eating them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace. God has the power to stop the fire from harming them. When the Israelites had to cross the Red Sea, God had the power to stop the water so they could pass through on dry land. He could stop a storm with a word. He could stop a giant with a slingshot. He could stop the sun in the sky. If you remember, he did that for Joshua. He can stop the unstoppable. He has the power to guide the misguided. He guided the children of Israel through the wilderness. Moses, Samuel, Paul, Philip. God put them exactly where he wanted them to be. God has the power to redirect the mistaken. Jonah is mistaken. God redirected him in a most imaginative way. He's able to give Esther courage. He's able to give Joseph humility. He's able to give Solomon wisdom, Samson strength. He's able to give David another chance and another chance and another chance. God has the power to humble the mighty. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Moses. The list goes on and on and on. Charles Spurgeon once said that every Christian has the choice between being humble and being humbled. And then along came Jesus. And of all the expressions of the power of God, none was greater than Jesus. But the power to forgive sin, the power to, to heal, to give sightless people back their vision, 
The power to feed thousands of people with a handful of food. The power to change water into wine. The power to walk on water. The power to stand outside of a tomb and say, Lazarus, come out and have a dead man walk out alive. He had the power to go into a tomb himself and three days later come out alive. And then he established his church. And the power of the Holy Spirit started moving through the church. And rich people found the power to become generous. And exclusive people found the power to to treat everyone as equals and treat everyone as family. Poor people, women, children, people who had always been marginalized found the power to become, to belong, to contribute. The gospel was preached. Sinners repented. The world was changed. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Everything is, is possible if you believe. Yes, absolutely. We started this lesson with uh, that video of some things you'll never hear your dad say. Let me end it with a few things you'll never hear your heavenly father say. Yeah, God surprises us all the time, but part of his nature is really predictable. Because when he says something, when he makes a promise, boy, you can take it to the bank. Here's some things you'll never hear God say. Don't get your hopes up. You know, our our culture tells us over and over again that life is is sort of hopeless. There's some things that just, they're never going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. You'll never hear God say that. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything's possible with God. That's the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is, go ahead. Get your hopes up. Everything's possible with God. You'll never hear God say, give up. You can't win. The odds are stacked against you. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't measure up. You're not worthy. You're a loser. Get used to it. You'll never hear God say that. What you will hear God say is, Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours. We are more than conquerors because of Christ and Christ's love. You'll never hear God say, this is about as good as it gets. Wouldn't it be depressing if this was as good as it gets? (laughs) I love my life, but I don't love everything about my life. And I love my home, but I'm not home yet. You know, we talked the first part of this year at length about being meant for more. God wants us to know we're meant for more. God wants us to know to Him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power, that idea of power again, that's at work within us. Listen, God is worthy of your best dreams. And He's worthy of your biggest dreams. I don't know what you're dreaming spiritually, but I do know God says dream bigger, because I can do more. I can do immeasurably more. You'll never hear God say, you can't do it, because my Bible says I can do all things through Christ. You'll never hear God say, you're kind of on your own, kid. It's completely up to you. And you might think it sometimes. And you might 
feel it sometimes. But that's not the reality. And that's not God's message. What God wants you to know is that nothing can separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. So here's, here's the deal. And this is important for not just dads. This is important for all of us. We desperately want to live in the power of God. I know you do. But here's where I think a lot of people get this wrong. I think a lot of people say, okay, if God is that powerful, and if God can do all this stuff, then I just need to tell Him what I want Him to do for me. I need to go back to that first question that I asked, what do I really want God to do, and just tell Him and wait for Him to do it. But I don't think that's the place to start. And I don't think that's really the way to access the power of God. I believe that our interaction with God ought to start at the same place that Abraham's interaction with God began. When God told Abraham, walk faithfully before me. Walk faithfully before me. Let go of your own agenda. Surrender your own selfish uh, desires. Just ask God, would you help me to walk faithfully before you? Dads, on Father's Day, you want the best advice you'll ever hear about being a better dad? You can go to every seminar ever created. You can read every blog that's ever been written. I'll give you the best advice on how to be a better dad. And I can do it in three words. Walk with God. You want to be a better husband? Walk with God. You want to be a better father? Walk with God. You want to be a, a better person? Walk with God. I don't have to worry about the outcome. I'm not in control. I'm not calling the shots. I am just trying to faithfully walk with God. Last Sunday morning during second service, I sat right over here where Jim's sitting with my wife, my three children, my son-in-law, and my three grandchildren. We don't get to all sit and worship together very often. Last Sunday was special for me. Today's Father's Day. My three adult kids are now scattered all over the country again. But I know that what I did this morning with you, when we shared the Lord's Supper, I knew that in three different parts of the country, my kids were doing the same thing. And that was important to me. And I don't want to leave this earth and have my children say, well, he paid his bills. You know, he kept a roof over our head. He kept shoes on our feet, which is important stuff. But I hope my children are able to say, my dad, he walked with God. Whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, a kid, old, young, rich, poor, whether you have the faith of Abraham, or you're just kind of struggling to figure out this whole faith journey like that dad in, in Mark chapter 9, may our focus, our emphasis, our effort, may our prayer be to just walk faithfully with God. This morning as a church family, if we can help you do that in any way, 